0: hello and welcome to another episode of the paddock pass podcast we have just been to well uh, we've just come back from the motorland aragon circuit uh, i'm still uh, here stuck up in the mountains uh, near aragon because uh, this is just such an awesome place uh, neil meanwhile is back in uh, back in barcelona uh, neil morrison how are you I'm very
1: good David all the better for
0: uh, getting home uh,
1: to my place and sleeping on my own bed on Sunday night um and uh, for having witnessed uh, a pretty uh, pretty exciting weekend i guess of uh, of grand prix racing
0: it was a pretty good uh, race we had we had some decent racing in all three classes didn't we we did yes
1: um yeah model 3 was a bit of a runaway but uh, model 2 was quite tense until the end and uh, yeah we had a great four way scrap for the win uh, which was quite unexpected i think um in the MotoGP race on Sunday um, yeah so good racing all round
0: yeah exactly I would say the same thing I, uh, I thought um, MotoGP was a uh, a pretty tense and exciting affair um, uh, Moto2 was pretty good and then uh, well Moto3 what can you say about Jorge Martin he's just been um, he just completely ran away with it didn't
1: he yes he did
0: a bit of a helping hand perhaps uh, with uh, race direction,
1: imposing some uh, penalties uh, to his uh, competitors but uh, yeah, sure we might uh, talk about that a little more later
0: yes indeed yes indeed yes uh, race direction had a uh, fairly uh, a reasonably busy weekend this weekend so we'll start off with the uh with the race um obviously i mean it was as you say it was a four way scrap i mean it was basically a two-way scrap with two people sort of sitting behind it um we were expecting it to be a three-way uh battle but that that sort of expectation didn't last past the first corner so what happened
1: Yes, well, I mean, I think 99% of the people in the paddock would view it that um, Marquez made a slightly optimistic move to get to the front at the first turn. Um, he went in too hot, went wide. Um, Lorenzo, who was on pole, um, had to pick up a little bit um, to avoid uh, Marquez on rushing, but there was no contact. Um didn't really look like there was contact. Uh, or anywhere near, um, coming close to, to contact to one another, and uh, Lorenzo, you know, having to go a little wide, uh, was out on the dirty part of the track, um, and uh, yeah, his rear came round and spat him off. Um, I'm not sure whether he was on the throttle or whether his rear just came round.
0: Well, I was, I was listening to the uh, to the audio, and you can just hear him crack the throttle before he before he gets flicked off, because okay. the the, the, the on board shots uh, show. Uh, sort of the whole thing and you can uh, and you can just hear him touch the throttle and then he's and then he's gone. Yeah, so well there you go. Um
1: and then that caused a little bit of a Ferrari afterwards. A uh, slightly unexpected one at that, um which Lorenzo blamed Marquez for the incident. Said that um the block pass that he had performed was slightly dangerous and um not very becoming uh, of a, a multiple world champion. Um, and that he essentially ruined his race ruined Lorenzo's race that is um, l- ruined Lorenzo's chances of winning at Aragon and uh, at Thailand as well because he now has a, a bit of a foot injury um, which uh, you know could, um, could prevent him uh, either competing in Thailand or competing in a competitive way
0: I mean uh, to be fair given uh, uh, Lorenzo's test results at Thailand it's not as if he was going to have a um, an absolutely fantastically strong uh, uh, race, or you shouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have expected based on the uh, based on the results, because he had a complete nightmare d- uh, during the test back in uh, was it February? It was fe- I think it was late February. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was when he was still trying to figure out which uh, chassis he wanted, and um, uh, uh, and before generally he made the the real progress with the bike and uh, got the new seat, got the new tank unit, which helped him stop the bike.
1: Yes, it seems a long time ago now, but uh, yeah, that was basically where where Lorenzo's uh, season imploded. Um, yeah, that had lasting consequences for the first, I think, three or four races. Um, but yeah, then after after he crashed out, we uh, you know we saw Mark um, shadow Davizioso. You got the impression that the, they were never really pushing um, to their their fullest capabilities. They were saving their tires until the end. Um, and um, at one point, it looked like Davizioso had it completely in control. Was able to open up a I think a, close to a second gap on Marquez, but Marquez responded immediately, and then there was just a fantastic fight uh, between them in the last, uh, you know, four or five laps, which in turn allowed the chasing Suzukis, Ianoni, and Alex Rins back into it. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, Marquez just held on. Um, yeah, you have to say when you look back through pretty much everyone's championship, but his in particular, there was always one championship defining race um, a race where you just think well that is the championship for him now uh, I seem to remember in 2016 it was that um, that race at Saxon Ring um, when he kind of fooled everyone, pitted early and then went out in slick tyres uh, on a slightly damp track and just made everyone else look silly um, I feel after a few races of Ducati domination um, it had been three races that Marquez had not won, had been very close to winning but um, just missed out and this was, uh, you know, this was the kind of definitive definitive evidence um, of, well, obviously of his greatness, but um, of his championship winning medal, 72 points uh, advantage in the championship now. And um, yeah, it's a long way back from here.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was also really a race that he wanted to win because it has been uh, the Saxon ring, which is what, Tuna, two, basically two months since he last won a race, which for Mark Marquez is a very long time um uh, and also it's this is basically his home track he had a corner ni- named after him um uh, during uh, on the thursday i think in a special session which, which is uh, a little bit odd frankly having a uh, corner named after you while you're still racing but um this seems to be uh, something which is happening nowadays um and he, he was just absolutely determined i really thought that uh, david Schoen, when david Schoen suddenly sort of pulled the pin and did a 38-3 um or sorry a 48-3 um uh, i thought that uh, that was it i thought that was um he was he was gone but marcus responded him sort of you know immediately and then uh, and then came back and uh, as you say we had an Absolutely outstanding couple of sort of last last third of the race, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. The lead was sort of chopping and changing uh, through the first two sectors of the track. Mark has always been exceptionally good coming out of the the corkscrew uh, through turn ten, which is now named after him, and then the long uh, turn eleven, which is just on the left side of the tire, which leads all the way into turn twelve, and he was just brilliant there the whole race um and he was critically able to make enough ground there in the closing two or three laps i think on the vicioso so the ducati wasn't close enough along the back straight because we always always talk about the ducati's uh top speed advantage over everyone um but marquez was able to just do enough uh through the that long succession of lefts um to open up a sufficient gap and um yeah he, he played a played it brilliantly Um, but you know I think we expected him to do that Aragon is one of his tracks it's obviously anti-clockwise track he's always talk uh, he's always spoken of Mm -hmm. his uh, his liking for that kind of thing uh, for that kind of layout and um, I think more of the surprise for me was just how close to Vizio's Vizio's it was how close he ran him
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the um, uh, Ducati, this is not really a Ducati track. The last time a Ducati won here was, I think, Casey Stoner in 2010. And they seem to struggle, although uh, uh, Lorenzo was on the was on the podium here last year. Um, uh, the, the, it has an awful lot of long corners, um, not really suited to uh, the DNA of the Ducati, if you like. But they really uh, pulled it together, and um, uh, I, I think this is yet more proof of um, how how well you know, how much progress Ducati have made. Uh, in the past uh, well I suppose uh, since the arrival of Gigi Delinia but especially in the past couple of years they've gone from being sort of nearly there to absolutely uh, to, to, to being absolutely uh, competitive and that's been reflected also in Dovicioso's riding and the way that Lorenzo sort of stepped up in the in the second half of the of the championship yeah for sure um, and it's
1: I think really from uh, from Jerez who've seen Ducati be Right at the front of pretty much every race um, Maybe except with the exception of Saxon Ring um, But that's about as extreme as it's going to get for them um, And even then I think Petrucci was fourth Just missed out on the podium um, So yes, going towards the final five races um, I think there's an expectation That they're going to be you know, strong everywhere now Even at Phillip Island It was really interesting to hear Davizioso speak about Philip Island and how he feels that they can challenge for the victory there. Um, Obviously, I think the first Ducati was, what, 11th uh, outside the top 10 there last year and effectively ended his championship hopes. Um, So, uh, yeah, they've made um, astonishing progress. And, um, you know, Mazzano was kind of confirmation. This was further confirmation, just how strong their their package is. Where has the progress come from? I think from what you, from what you gather, um, it is. Um, it's more about the consolidation of the the package that they have. I think the the chassis that they had, or that they brought to the the preseason tests, um, was definitely an upgrade. It limited, or, uh, sorry, it improved the the cornering, the turning, which had always been quite limited, for them before. Um, and I think there was one or two aspects of. Um, 2018 which caught Daviziozzo a little bit by surprise in the first uh, half of the year um, he mentioned it at Assen and then at the Sachsenring ring that the tyres even though uh, Mitchell and say they're more or less the same as 2017 uh, there's small changes um, to the rear compounds for example which he feels were a little softer um, need to be managed in a different way and they need to be conserved more than they were last year and um, it seems that a couple of the tests that they've done um, in the second half of this year, Aragon and at Misano, um, wasn't anything new or revolutionary brought. It was just a chance to work through uh, what they already had, experiment with some of the options setup wise. Um, using the winglets now, you'll notice that at the start of the year, Davizioso, even last year, um, Davizioso wasn't always that fast on running them, whereas Lorenzo was, absolutely. Um, they've worked that into their base setup and um, yeah it seems that um, by doing that and working through it in a pretty impressive uh, coherent way um, they've almost negated some of the uh, some of the weak points of that package.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, what's been um, uh, interesting, as you're saying about the the, the winglets, like um, uh, last year, Dovey said that he was using it as like an extra setup item, if you like, where it would be a choice at the start of the year, at the start of the weekend. Are, are we going to run the winglets, or are we not going to run the run the winglets? And it looks like um, this the new set of winglets which they got, I think, earlier this year um uh, th- those have less of the disadvantage in uh in turning the bike from side to side um so th- the bike is a little bit more agile uh, with the winglets but it still has the advantage of um uh, of providing the, the downforce and the front end grip now it that, that's basically one less thing for uh for Dovichioso and his crew to figure out to actually have to spend time trying to optimize and so they are uh, quick really uh, right from the right uh, right from the start right from the right from the very beginning
1: yeah and he's spoken in the past of how that um that mentally is such a big thing whenever you come into the weekend and you're fast straight away in FP1 uh, it takes so much stress out of the rider or it takes so much stress away from the rider away from the team they can work in a more relaxed way um and yeah that's crucial for a guy like him who I think has had to work a lot on um, his um, basically how he is inside the garage during a race weekend. Um, you know, not get too worked up by things, and remain calm, relaxed, uh, entirely focused on what they have to do. I think you know that's uh, coming in and being quick from the off uh, really does help him so much yeah
0: yes exactly i mean i find the contrast between ducati and ktm very very interesting because it's almost like they're doing uh, two different things they're also in you know in two different stages of development but um uh, the one thing about ktm is they seem to always have an absolute mountain of parts to to test and you wonder whether they're extracting Uh, the maximum amount of the package because they keep on throwing new parts in to confuse the situation, whereas uh, Ducati have had very, very few sort of, you know, new parts, new upgrades. Uh, We did say a couple of things. We saw Danilo Petrucci trying out some aerodynamic forks um, or, or, well, aerodynamic forks. Basically, it it was a a cover on the front fork which uh, had a bit of a teardrop shape which was aimed at um, uh, smoothing or keeping the airflow uh, smoother or preventing separation of airflow as i was uh as i was informed by uh, uh by one of the commenters on my website um what that does is it, it increases air pressure on the uh on the fairing so it'll help it cool the you cool the bike down i'll be interested to see if they use that uh place like a place like Sepang, a place like, uh, like buri ram in thailand where it's going to be hotter um we've also seen that they are uh, they have a triple clamp the top plate on the triple clamp is um is slightly different it's now the trend now seems to be to work with thin pieces of metal with a thick piece of carbon fiber uh, stuck on top of it to be able to manage uh, manage stiffness um so you can't have been doing that but i mean that's really you're talking about tiny little details whereas uh you know ktm are throwing the buckets and buckets of parts of people and going round or, or, or to, uh, at their riders and going round round in circles and, um, um, and you wonder whether they're actually extracting the maximum amount that they're ever that they actually know what the performance of the package uh, the performance of the bike is actually capable of um, because they they've been testing so much, and all uh, Davide and uh, and Lorenzo are doing is just you know working on the details, fine tuning it, and that's what's allowing them to be so competitive in the race because they understand what they have so completely.
1: Yes, yeah, and it it shows really in the results. I think uh,
0: this year's race at
1: Aragon was a good ten seconds faster than last year's race. So, um, yeah, for Ducati to be up at the front and running with Marquez when the Honda is clearly taking such a step forward as well is quite something I do believe yeah and what what you were saying I mean yeah there's been small improvements I mean they brought the the chassis with carbon reinforcements uh, earlier in the year I think around Assen and Saxon Ring and individuals who realised that actually preferred what he was using before that Um, yeah the package from I think the start of the year was really very strong indeed but there was just a few details that they needed to understand like how the tyres have changed ever so slightly and subtly and how that needs to be managed as a result and what we're seeing now is um, it is basically a result of that um, I thought it was interesting I did expect him to be a little more downbeat after the race um, but in for me, when he was interviewed uh, also at the press conference afterwards to he was, he was you know, pretty happy talking about the positives of the weekend saying there were so many things that they could take away from that encounter so many things that they had learnt um, and you do get the impression that I mean He's not a stupid guy. Uh, I think he knew after the race at Montmelo in June that the championship for this year was over, and everything that they've been working towards in the second half of this year is with 2019 in mind. Um, you won't, you don't imagine, Jigani will have to do too much to the bike over the off season. DiBiziozzo is getting everything just right. He can go into 2019 with absolute certainty that there won't be many weak tracks. A weak track will be um, off the podium rather than finishing 6th, 7th, 8th. He will be the clear number one rider in 2019, whereas there's a bit of doubt certain stages this year around that. Um, and yeah, I know we were expecting him to be Marquez's principal challenger this year. You would have to say if he can maintain this run all the way through to Valencia Um, it'll stand him in really good stead for next year
0: yeah exactly and I think yeah I think that's a very good point about the consistency because that's certainly been that was basically what cost uh, the WCOS the championship last year where he was not you know on a bad day he'd be finishing quite a long way down the order and it's the same this year if you look at I mean why has Marquez got such a huge, huge lead in the championship? It's because, you know, bad day for him is second uh, and a really bad day for him is third. If David Choso can approach that kind of consistency, always, always being on the podium, then we could be in for quite an interesting championship next year.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I spoke to um, his crew chief, Alberto Giribola, on Thursday and we were just uh, talking a little bit about how he's changed the working methods uh, within Divizio's carriage since they started working together in 2016. Um, basically, he was saying that in the past, Davizios would like to know everything. Um, after each day of on-track action, he would be having long meetings with every single member of his crew, trying to know all the details, every la- like the very minutiae of how the bike was reacting and working, and trying to give his feedback and he was saying, look, this is just, it's too much. You, you, you're occupying yourself with way too much. You're not giving yourself any chance to unwind and relax, to step away and think more about the tactical side of the race, the mental approach. Um, so he said one of the, the first things he did was to try and compartmentalize everything and um, give everyone very specific jobs. He would meet with all of the engineers and then he would go to his rider at the end of the day and say, look, this is what everyone is saying I've collected all their information all their feedback and this is what we have to change Um, and he said that it took a little while for him to get on board but um, ultimately that that has worked and uh, they've got a working method now that that really is uh, is showing uh, on the track Um, and another thing he said that was interesting was that you know this is basically now two full years where De has always been Marcus's principal challenger and the more he fights with him the more he has Scraps that go until the very last lap, the better he's going to to become and the greater the belief becomes that Marquez is, is um is beatable
0: yeah, exactly, and the other thing is every time they race against each other, they both learn things about each other and about the about each other's bikes and that just makes the competition uh, that just makes the competition better so um it, and it's certainly going to be very very interesting to see Lorenzo on the Honda again uh, uh, next year because that's going to that's going to you know throw a real wild card I think it might take a little while for del- R- R- Lorenzo to uh, sort of get his head around riding the Honda um uh, I think he's in for a bit of a surprise but um uh once i mean you know it's going to happen and once he gets it uh, gets it sorted then it's going to be uh well yeah i mean you know it's going to be a, it, it should be a fantastic show right well that's uh, about it for uh part 1 when we come back we will talk about a couple of the other japanese factories hey guys jensen here just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com/slash paddock pass podcast. All right, now back to the show. Right, welcome back. Now, then, obviously. We've been focusing on the uh, battle at the front um, between uh, Mark Marquez and Andrea Dovicioso, the Honda versus the uh, the Ducati. And again, what was fascinating to see was the way that those two bikes. Uh, operated differently and works differently uh but what did we see directly behind the Cassie and the uh and the honda uh two suzuki's um andrea ian only finished uh third uh, alex Rince finishing fourth a remarkable and real sign of of, of progress and the and the potential of that bike
1: yeah i think this has been something that has been stirring for um for quite some time now we've seen both riders be exceptionally strong at different points during the year. Uh, Ian only obviously with his two podiums uh, back in April, I think it was, at um, in Texas. And then at Jerez, uh, we saw Rins really strong um, at Argentina, being in the leading group at a couple of the early races, but crashing out you know, at Jerez and Qatar. And then had that sterling podium at Aston. Um, but for them both to come together here at Aragon, um, which is such a mixed bag in terms of what it demands from a bike um i think it, it shows that uh the suzuki package you know they've done an, an exceptional job there um i went back and looked at the 2017 race and i think um both guys you only finished 12th at aragon a year ago Rins was 17th outside the points um and Ian only was 30 seconds faster his race time was 30 seconds faster um Rins, i think was 40 seconds quicker than he was last year so you know those those the progress from last year to, to this, um, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's a really good package. They just they've got a good engine, which obviously doesn't boast the same kind of um, top speed as uh, the the Honda or the Ducati, but it really does. It has always maintained that uh, that sort of Suzuki characteristic of um, very agile, manoeuvrable, um, and it seems now. That you know, Ian O'Neill to to finish on the podium uh, has got a setup which um, allows him to to be strong all the rest, So many encounters this year, we've seen him uh, fade. Um, he's always spoken about not being able to manage the rear tire um, in a correct way. But uh, he said like various changes with uh, the electronic setup of the bike really helped him in that department. And yeah, I mean both guys just were a little bit off in the final lap or two um but before then they were they were right there in the mix um and uh yeah a really fine job because this time a year ago we were sort of scratching our heads wondering just what had gone wrong because suzuki from coming back into the class in 2015 had been on such a, a continuous upward trajectory um losing vinales at the end of 16 put them back quite some way um but they've recovered really well and um you know i think it bodes quite well for the future and um, we've seen Rins prove to be you know one of the classes leading names now um on several times uh several occasions this year
0: uh, yeah absolutely i mean it's big difference. It, it, you, you mentioned the top speed i uh had a look at the top speeds compared the top speeds from 2017 to 2018 what was interesting is well first of all um there were more hondas in the top speed charts last this year than they were last year which is obviously something which honda has been working on but also uh, the suzuki's were up there as well whereas uh, last year the suzuki's were basically just about the bottom of, of the charts so uh they they did have a, a huge problem with their engine last year 2017 um over the winter uh, they chose the wrong engine um and uh, they were because of the homologation issues and because Suzuki had lost concessions for 2017 um it meant that they were basically stuck with it Uh, I thought it was interesting that on Sunday evening um when we said because uh, ian only's podium means that they have now uh lost concessions um so they will have uh they won't have unlimited testing for next year and they will have to they'll have fewer engines and they'll have to submit their engine design at the start of the season and they won't be able to change it uh, but uh when we when i asked um, alex uh, alex prince you know whether that was a concern about it he, uh, you know it means they've got to get the engine right at uh uh, at the start of the year for two thousand uh, for 2019 he said yeah well I wasn't involved in uh, choosing the 2017 engine so I'm not really worried about it um, which was uh, it was interesting he seemed to be shifting the blame a little bit towards his uh, his teammate eh? um, but yeah, then because again of course yeah,
1: he was injured wasn't he and Ian uh, you know, only had just got off the Ducati and um, his crew chief had just come with him for Ducati as well and they didn't quite know anything about the gsx rr where it needed to be improved and so on um so yeah it was interesting of interesting rinse uh Rins said that yeah a sign i think of his uh increasing confidence
0: hey uh, yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, d- d- as you say i mean um it was more down to suzuki rather than um uh, uh rather than ianoni or rinse that, that that they chose the wrong engine just because you know at the end of 2016 they decided to get rid of both riders and um uh, ended up with a, a rookie and a uh, and a new rider and of course next year they'll have uh, another rookie in Juan Mir, and um, but they will still have Alex Rins and Alex Rins at least now has two years uh, two years experience on the bike and two years experience uh, uh, riding uh riding the MotoGP bike so they seem to be set uh, a little bit more fair the factory that doesn't seem to be set particularly fair at any time in the future is uh, Yamaha 23 races without a win the longest uh, series of that were well, their longest winless streak in the premier class and perhaps even Grand Prix racing. I'm not even sure. I haven't even looked at uh, uh, 250s or uh, or whatever, but um, certainly in the Premier class, they've never been without a race uh, for so long. And it was it pretty much doom and gloom in the Yamaha, uh, Yamaha garages. Yeah, it was as bad a weekend as I can remember for Yamaha. I mean, there's been
1: quite a few of those uh, over the past uh, nearly two seasons now. Um, I guess last year, there was always the... The, the slightly puzzling element of Johan Zarko. Um, it was never as bad for all four Yamahas on the grid, if you know what I mean. Uh, there was, Last year, the factory guys would struggle. Zarko wouldn't be too far away. Um, he would almost be sparing their blushes. Um, but this yeah, this weekend was just desperate. Really, really bad. Um, they had a terrible sort of prognosis coming here. I think they knew that they were in trouble Um because Aragon is a track which is quite critical on rear grip um, it's about managing the rear tire uh, through a lot of the race and um, the layout although it's tight and twisty in certain respects uh, it does feature a couple of corners that are quite critical in acceleration and getting that drive onto a long straight and uh, Yamaha's have been struggling with traction for for some time now um, and it was desperate I mean Rossi's worst joint worst qualifying in 23 years of Grand Prix racing. I mean that says its own story. Um, the fact that he was uh, aiming to score some points on Saturday uh, was quite damning. Um, eighth and ninth for, or sorry, eighth and tenth for, for Rossi and Vinales, um, so far away from the front, um, and no, no signs of no signs of light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's the most the most worrying thing. Um, yeah this is a similar situation to last year and look how the factory guys, uh, how their season fizzled out when we went to the flyaways other than at uh, Phillip Island where, okay, the Yamaha works really well there. It's tailor-made for that layout. But elsewhere, they're nowhere at uh, Misano, pretty lousy at, uh, at Sepang um, and in Valencia as well. So I, I can see the exact same thing happening, to be honest, as 2017.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's Odd that we're actually talking about after the race, we were saying, Oh, eighth and tenth for uh Rossi and Vinales. You know, that's it's not a bad result, all, all things considered, but. You know, uh, uh, I don't know, two years ago, if you'd have said that 8th and 10th was not a bad result for Yamaha, you would have been declared clinically insane. This is a one of the greatest, you know, motorcycle ma- manufacturers on the grid. They've got so many, they have so many titles, they have so many race wins, um, they've had so much success over the years, and yet they appear to have uh, completely lost their way. It was, I mean, Saturday, qualifying on Saturday for for, for Rossi was almost bizarre I mean he messed um he messed his strategy up uh, and afterwards he said yeah I mean I knew the only chance I had to, of getting through from Q1 to Q2 was um uh, uh was if I could get a toe from someone and that's not it, it's all almost out of character if you like none of it is what you would expect we've already seen um one uh, apology from the Yamaha engineers with the uh, kuji Su- uh, Tsuya coming um, uh, in front of us, coming to talk to us journalists in Austria, I think. So, uh, I mean, uh, to have Tsuya come out and basically apologise on behalf of uh, of Yamaha to the riders um, in front of the press was uh, almost unprecedented, but um, uh, well, fat lot of good it's done. Um, they still... They still seem to be having, you know, huge, huge problems um, with, especially with drive out corners and with, um, uh, and with you know the, the tire tire management. Even Joanne Zarco, I think, was quite downbeat after uh, <laughs> after the race as quite well. Quite downbeat.
1: <laughs> Putting it slightly mild, David. Yeah, massive, massive understatement. Yeah, it looked like yeah. he was about to cry. To be honest, um, I was the only person. I'm the only journalist that showed up for his debrief. You know how times change from a year ago when he was the the the, the hot new thing in MotoGP. Yeah. Um, he was just disconsolate. You know, 14th place, 30 more than 30 seconds off the race winner. Um, yeah, it was pretty desperate. I mean, how has it got to this, David? I mean, 23 races. Um, as you mentioned, a new a new record going all the way back to 1972 when Yamaha made its debut in uh, in MotoGP or the 500 class as it was on, as it was then. Um, well, what's what's the issue here?
0: Uh,
1: I who, who, I want heads. I, I want heads on a plate. <laughs>
0: heads heads on a plate. Um, uh, I had an interesting conversation in pit lane this weekend with uh, someone who used to work with Yamaha, and uh, they said to me. Well, you know, it's still Furosawa's bike. Um, it's still the bike that basically uh, Yamaha built, uh, that Furosawa designed back in two thousand and four, uh, and and was refined over the over the years. Um, the, it, it, you can go back and look at it; and the bike still looks the same. I mean, it, it the, the, it's except for minor details. Uh, the bike looks almost identical to 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 the to the same bike sort of ten years ago, and what seems to be happening is Yamaha has just rested on the well. There seems to be two things. First of all, they've rested on their laurels. They've had great riders. They had Jorge Lorenzo, who could, uh, uh, who was just outstanding on the bike. Uh, they had uh, Valentina Rossi, obviously, who won so many championships on the bike. Um, uh, Lorenzo leaves. to get Maverick Vinales on. Vinales is clearly an exceptional talent, comes in, wins races. Um, and, uh, you know, they've had some outstanding if you look at the satellite riders they uh, they've had they've had you know they had Ben Spees they had uh Carl Crutchler they had Andrea Dovizioso uh, they had Colin Edwards they've got uh Joan Zarco um th- th- these are all just exceptional riders and so the the riders seem to have flattered the bike a little and um it, it, it's it's created sort of a culture of inaction in the engineering department and there's just no progress in the engineering department everyone is afraid to do um things uh and what they really need is for someone to come in and you know shake things up start making you know bigger steps take bigger uh take bigger changes but um uh, I also wonder if there's a problem with Valentino Rossi in the, uh, in there, because obviously Rossi is, uh, Rossi is a proven champion, which is a little bit of an understatement, but you know, he gets referred to as, uh, as the greatest of all time. And he's still only, he's on a, he's towards the end of his career. And so the pressure is also very, very high um, uh, to, uh, you know, try to fix the problem now. Um but it, fixing the problem now—I mean, fixing the problem now—is very, very difficult when uh, when there is so much pressure. If you, what they probably need is to uh, do something a little bit more radical, but that means sacrificing a season. Uh, but then the fear of sacrificing a, a season has, has just cost them at least a season, a season and a half. So, yeah, it, it just seems like corporate inertia to me. That seems to be uh, the big problem. No one is no uh, no one is uh, willing to take a risk.
1: Yeah, and it's it is interesting when I spoke to Maverick Scrucci chief Ramon Fercada earlier in the year, and he was talking about the Yamaha style, how the bike needs to be ridden. He was also saying about how the evolution of the bike has been very subtle over the years. If he he was saying that if you took the first 1000cc M1 from 2012, you could basically take the engine from that bike and fit it in the current bike. You know, the the changes to the chassis have been very minute just you know, stiffening it here and there. Um, constant evolution. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. When you see Honda and Ducati making such huge strides this year, the competition has moved forward at quite a rapid rate. Um, I mean, that bike really isn't too dissimilar from what Lorenzo and Rossi were riding in 2015 when we were running full factory software um, and Bridgestone Tires. Now, those are two pretty big factors um, that we have that we've had in the MotoGP class and Yamaha still seems to be you know there hasn't been a, a big change to match that um, yeah it's, it's, it's puzzling it was interesting to hear Rossi talk about um, I think one of the reasons why things got so bad this weekend was because they had the chance to test 2019 engine at the test in Aragon before Mizano and from Rossi what Rossi was saying is it was like a, a small modification. He said he there's a lot of work to be done for two thousand and nineteen um, because it was, you know, nowhere near the, the improvement that they needed. Um and it seems that that more than anything alarmed him because there's no guarantee that okay, we get to the end of the season, two thousand and nineteen will be better because there's still no direction. Um and yeah, you know, no, no, no kind of positive, no positive news in the horizon. No light at the end of the tunnel, um, and it's it's difficult to see where they go from here, because they, you know, they they're going to continue with Rossi and Vinales. We both know that technically they want different things from the bike. They want the bike to do different things. Uh, they're losing Johan Zarco. They're going to have to take on board um, a completely new team, which is basically being brought up and and created out of the blue. Um, with two very young and inexperienced riders in that team um, it's i mean it's going to be difficult and as you say unless something big and um, they, they they think of something big it's um yeah it's, it's i don't think it'll be enough
0: it also makes you wonder how franco morbidelli feels because you know he comes at it, joins MotoGP, gp jumps onto what is probably the most difficult bike to learn Uh, and then which is to the Yamaha and to a bike which is obviously not going to be competitive unless something major happens uh, next year but uh, we will uh, I think we'll see a lot more once we get to certainly once we get to the Spang test and and, uh, perhaps the uh, perhaps the Qatar test because those are both tracks where the Yamaha goes a little bit better and and could be a little bit more competitive
1: yeah one of the things Whenever Ducati was going through its really dark period in MotoGP, um, there was talk of the disconnect between the racing team and the factory. And it seems that there's something similar occurring here. Rossi said, There's no update, no information on the development direction, what the factory's working on for next year. He's pretty much in the dark. Um, and it seems that, you know, those were some comments that he gave us on Saturday, which indicated that, um, well, it's not quite what it should be
0: no uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the influence of the of the european test team which is supposed to be which they're setting up for next year uh will be to see if that can have you know a big a big impact um if jonas volga can actually make you know the kind of difference that uh, that everyone hopes we know he's fast enough and now it's just a question of uh, Yamaha being able to find the changes and find the uh, make the right make the right changes to the bike to, to make it competitive again Right. Well, that's uh, enough for part two. When we come back, we shall um, have a take a quick look at Moto2 and Moto3 and then on with our MotoGP monologues and, of course, our winners and our losers. David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, Please remember to leave us a review and rate us as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. welcome back uh, we will uh, start to wrap up this podcast and we will start with our new segment which we uh, we had on the last podcast moto gp monologues neil morrison your subject is alicia spargaro and uh, you have one minute to talk about uh, his race starting now uh, yes
1: it was the proverbial um uh Bunny out of the hat for Alicia Spargo Everything around this weekend Had been so negative for Aprilia um, So negative for Alicia uh, On Saturday after qualifying He said he wanted the season to be over uh, was Still with six races to play Couldn't get the feeling with the front uh, That he wanted um, Was having issues basically everywhere With the bike but um, Managed to regroup um, Get a decent set setting for the race And um, yeah, produced his Comfortably his best showing of the year. Uh, sixth place uh, equals a prettiest best result in the MotoGP, a uh, four-stroke era. Um, and it was uh, mildly impressive. It, quite interesting. After the race, he pointed to his new crew chief. Um, he got rid, uh, he and a pretty got rid of um, uh, Marcus Eschenbacher uh, before Mizano, um replaced him with, uh, oh, David, help me out here. The chap's name is...
0: Uh, Pietro Caprara
1: okay pietro caprara uh for this weekend and um said that everything was a bit more organized um worked towards the race in a better way and uh, well there is the result
0: uh, uh well done um apart from missing out on that that you were a little bit over you were a little bit long shall we say a little bit wide you were forced wide at the uh, in the final corner there
1: okay three three place grid penalty for me <laughs> yeah, for- <laughs> <laughs> yes for okay. mr morrison Yes. So you're up next, David. You basically have one minute um, and your question is about Suzuki. Do you think the fact that they have lost their concessions, their factory concessions for 2019, will have a big influence on their success next year? One minute starts now.
0: I uh, do not think it'll be bad for them. Certainly, David Abrivio. After the race, I spoke to him after the race, and he was delighted. um He said, that, "You know, this is what we worked for. Uh, can, you're given concessions because you have a lack of resu- a lack of results, and what you really want is uh, is so to get results is quite rewarding." um Testing has been restricted more and more, and so uh, not being able to test is with the with the contracted riders is less of a handicap than it would have been uh, this year. Um, the big uh, Uh, the the big question is they have to get the engine right obviously 2017 they got it wrong Um, uh, to this year I think um, it's going to be really important Uh, I think it it, it helps that we have a test first in uh, in Jerez Uh, obviously the cold provide the conditions to get it right so I think Suzuki should be just fine okay
1: one minute and five seconds for Moto Uh, Moto (laughs) Matters David Emmett I think that's a a six place grid penalty for you sir (laughs) Yes, Uh, at this rate, rate, both of us will be starting the next podcast from the back of the grid.
0: (laughs) We will, we will, as usual. (laughs) Yes, Um. no change there. Uh, ex- uh, exactly R- right. I-, I think the next one we're going to have to uh, both talk about because um, uh, Jorge Lorenzo's crash. You, I mean, we, we shouldn't need a minute. You should be able to sum up Jorge Lorenzo's crash in uh, in thirty uh, in thirty seconds. Uh, was it Mark Marquez's uh, fault or was it Jorge Lorenzo's fault? Did he do it himself? Uh, thirty seconds, starting now. It
1: was Jorge Lorenzo's fault. <laughs> I'll make it easy for you. And his comments after the race were down to very wounded pride. I really don't think there's there's much else to add, to be honest. <laughs> anyone, that see, anyone that saw the, the TV footage, uh, saw the stills, I think it's pretty clear. Marquez was nowhere near contact. To expect uh, a gentlemanly means of approaching the first turn in MotoGP is very naive. and Someone of Jorge Lorenzo shouldn't think that.
0: That seems... Um Yeah, you didn't really need 30 seconds there, really. (laughs) That was uh, five seconds of facts and the rest was just padding, really, wasn't it? Because your opinion seems to be quite set on this.
1: Yes, exactly. And now we'll uh, return, uh, we'll, we'll kick the ball into your court we'll hit the ball into your court David 30 seconds uh, was Lorenzo right to have a little bit of a whinge on Sunday evening
0: Riders always like to have um, excuses and like to have a little bit of a whinge it, uh, Lorenzo's crash was completely his own fault um, he, or, you know, he had a choice uh, back off and lose a few places or uh, uh, open the gas and try and make the corner and he made the wrong choice and that's why he crashed uh, Mark uh, yeah he ran in a little bit too hot but it's, uh, it's turn one and people People, it's really difficult to get turn one right he was nowhere near lorenzo um it basically it was lorenzo's choice to crash rather than uh, uh rather than mark as his fault but you know mark was being mark um these things he he, he, he can get a little bit excited
1: okay That's slightly more diplomatic than my response i feel
0: <laughs> basically agreeing with you but taking a lot longer to do so <laughs> um right one more topic for you neil um Moto3, it was a it was a bit of an odd race really um, uh, with uh, uh, Jorge Martin getting away um, at the start and disappearing but all those penalties uh, made a big difference were penalties the decider in the Moto3 race and are they going to end up being the decider in the championship? Uh, I think they were certainly the decider in the Moto3 race um,
1: to say they were the decider in the championship is maybe a bit too much uh, but there were three guys with really good pace uh, throughout the weekend that were or they were uh, jorge martin marco bazecchi and neea bastianini both Bastianini and bazecchi were hit with pretty uh, pretty heavy penalties to be honest um which saw them start outside i think the top 15 for sure bazecchi was starting from 18th place it took them quite some time to get through uh the the group martin did a disappearing act from the very start um put all his uh, all his effort into creating a gap because he knew that those guys were going to be coming through the field and um yeah basically by the time bezecchi had got to the front of the group Uh, His tires were a bit overworked. He had to settle um, for a few laps and then push on in the closing stages. I think, um, yeah, I think both Bastianini and uh, Bezecchi could have uh, could have definitely taken the fight to Martin, and um, yeah, he manages to uh, extend his championship lead to uh, to uh, well a further five points uh, to thirteen now. And um, yeah, I think that's going to have well. I don't think don't know if it's going to have a big influence on the championship. There's still a pretty small margin with five races to five races to go, um, but uh, let's see how that pans out.
0: Very good. That was pretty much on time. Although I think I lost uh, I lost track of time at some point. Um, uh, I have that effect on people. <laughs> exactly.
1: In other words, I'm sending them to sleep.
0: Yes, <laughs> I drifted off for a little bit there. <laughs> One more thing: we uh, before we move on to our winners and losers, is the championship over? It's MotoGP championship over.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Seventy-two points, five races to play. Uh, some great tracks for Marquez is still there, uh, Valencia, uh, Phillip Island. He was incredible at the the test of Thailand earlier in February. Yeah, I would say so. I would say it's over.
0: Do, does he win it before? Uh, does he win it at Motegi? Yes. I think so. Yes, I think so. Because I was looking at this last night and thinking about it and actually I think it might be quite difficult to wrap it up at um, uh, at Mategi. Uh He needs to gain three points over the next two races, which normally you would say shouldn't be too much of a problem. But given that, um, uh, you know, Marcus has been finishing either first or second and, you know, Dovi, again, Dovi finishes, uh, Danu finishes second. If Marcus wins in Thailand um and Dovi finishes second then that'll it put him in good stead at uh, going to Monteggi but uh look at what happened at uh, at Meteggi last year i think uh, Marquez could find it a little bit difficult trying to win um uh, trying to win at Monteggi and if he if he can't beat um uh, Dovi Chiosa then he might find himself just one or two points short
1: Yeah, but I think, you know, on the grand scheme of things, you know, deciding whether you're going to win your championship in uh, Mitagi or or Phillip Island, I can't imagine him losing too much sleep over this, to be honest.
0: Well, I, I don't think I, I don't think he will lose too much sleep of it. But um, uh, Honda really, really want him to win at Motegi because um, all of Honda's top brass is at, uh, at Motegi. Uh, it's a track owned by Honda. It's their biggest event of the. It's their biggest event of the year. Um, well, yeah. you could argue that Suzuka is might be slightly bigger than, uh, uh, but they've not had so much success uh, at Suzuka. So it, uh, I think it would be it would force on some uh, on some wounds from Suzuka. Uh, if uh, if uh, Marcus was to wrap the title up at uh, at so i think there would be a lot of pressure for him to do it certainly but as you say you know mark doesn't care as long as that little um, uh, that little tile that goes on the MotoGP uh, trophy as long as it bears his name at the end of the season then i don't think he really cares right so winners and losers neil um, who is your big winner from the uh, motorland aragon round of moto of uh, moto uh, moto gp
1: <laughs> i think it has to be alicia bargroam um i think he was uh, he was the it was the right of the day for him there was every each one of the top four guys uh, i thought wrote exceptionally um but i thought uh, Spargo was just the, the big surprise because of um, how negative things have been around him and around a pretty the last while um and uh, he seemed to be able to just find something that set in that worked for him you know we know that he's a pretty strong breaker um he was able to, to do that, and, and without much drama, actually, because Petrucci behind him, I thought was uh, was eventually going to, to close in and get him, but uh, he managed to to keep him sort of at arm's length. Um, and uh, you know, the, he he told us on Thursday that he had um, even tested the two thousand and seventeen bike at uh, a test. I think it was at Misano, um, and uh, basically immediately. He was really fast. He was a lot faster with the 2017 bike than he had been with this year's model. Um, In the two days that followed the the Grand Prix at Misano, he'd actually asked Aprilia to have one of his bikes the 2017, and they declined and said, that's not possible. um, To to optimize development, we really need to keep focused on on this year's model. Um, But the fact that all this stuff was swirling around, um, I think... Uh, you know it, it sort of underlines just how impressive his showing was um, and uh, yeah I think he was also also talking a little bit more about being organized as um, sometimes you get the impression that it's a bit chaotic behind the scenes in the in the pretty garage um, and they're maybe chasing lap times rather than thinking of the race during the race week or during free practice um, but he said that the, the working methods of his new crew chief had helped him out and put him on the right path and he rode exceptionally didn't make any mistakes um, and I think this is really you know we can definitely count this among Alicia's best rides uh, in Grand Prix racing
0: yeah I I think this is probably his best riding Grand Prix ever but I mean I um, had a, a quick word with Romano Elbasiano after uh, uh, after the race and he basically said you know this was a leash this wasn't the bike this was just just the leash between the uh, just applying himself and p- really he did the whole thing with his you know, with his will and with his mind. So, um, uh, just an amazing race by Alicia Espargro, you, you have to say. And you said also the bike is slower. I mean, you again look to the top speeds and you can actually see it. Uh, last year the Aprilia was uh, uh, sort of pretty much in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the speeds, and this year right at the bottom. Um, it's just um, uh, they really do appear to have gone backwards this year. So, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, what about you, Div? Me, my, well, I mean, well, there's lots of candidates. I mean, Brad Binder for his win in, uh, in Moto2, um, outstanding ride. Um, you'd have to say uh, Mark Marquez for, you know, finally winning again. Um, but I think I'm going to go with um, Andrea Dovicioso and Ducati because this was a track where they struggled so badly, or they, they, you know, they have struggled in the past. It's not been easy for them. There's a lot of the characteristics in this uh, in this track where which, which don't suit the ducati uh, where the ducati has had problems with you know long corners uh, fast changes of direction that sort of thing it's not a, it's not a ducati thing uh, they've managed to survive here by using other aspects of the of the bike but um, uh, um for them to come here uh, have a really excellent result for them to be, you know they started the race as favorites both lorenzo and dabicio seems to be the favorites to win um, and it was only Marquez's, you know, sort of reaching into his desire to and and ambition to actually win, uh, which, which which sort of kept them from from victory. And I think this, the fact that they did so well here, sets really sets them up well for a place like Philippine. Island. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Ducati goes at, at Philippine Island because if they can be in the mix there, if they can be, you know, in the in the podium fight there. Then that is really that's a really exciting prospect, and I think it uh, it marks a, a, a radical change. So I think this was really, as, as David Chioso said, this was the confirmation that um, uh, that you know something big has changed for, for for Ducati, and they are and they're genuinely competitive. And if they're competitive in Aragon, they can be competitive anywhere. Yes, I was speaking
1: to someone that, uh, involved in the Ducati MotoGP product project over the weekend they told me that Gigi has been counting down the days until Philip and he can't wait to go there because he's convinced that the bike uh, has made such great leaps that they can be competitive there and that's been on his calendar for some time now because that really left a bitter taste last year the fact that they were so far off the pace so um, yes should be fun to see how they get on there
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, it could end up being one of those defining moments. Where you know, if they succeed, then it's uh, again, it means they've really arrived. But if they don't succeed, if they do have a difficult weekend, then it's then it gets really interesting. Then um, uh, then we see uh, what GG, you know, what answers uh, Gigi Dalenia and the rest of Ducati course he have. That was it for winners. How about losers? Who's your big losers?
1: Um, I'm going to <sighs> Yamaha. It's hard to look past Yamaha. Um, Vinyales, possibly. I think Rossi still managed to ride a pretty good race on Sunday, despite an awful weekend. Um, pretty much took the the package to its maximum. Um, Vinyales was fairly convincingly beaten by his teammate, um, and the fact that uh, there's no end in sight um, as it stands. Um, some of the best years of maverick vinales career are uh, are set to be wasted um on an uncompetitive bike um and in a team that is in a state of mild chaos um yes and yeah he should be a guy that is taking the fight to davidio's own Marquez. he's good enough to do that um the bike beneath him is not and um his uh, The fact that he's going to change his crew chief uh, for next year, I don't think that alone is uh, anywhere near enough. Um, yeah, more difficult times lie ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree. I mean, it's, it's tempting to um, uh, uh, pick Jorge Lorenzo as the big loser of the weekend for, for crashing in the first corner. Um, but you would have to say... Uh, that it's Yamaha but I wouldn't say that it was uh, you know Maverick Vinales in particular I would say that it's Yamaha's Japanese management it was uh, I think on Sunday night um, Valentino Rossi said um Uh, When he was asked about, you know, this record of 23 uh, races without a win, uh, he said, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I hope it means something to the people back in Japan that, you know, one of the big bosses in Japan looks at it and and decides that it can't go on this way. So I think the big loser, well, the, the... the big losers from this weekend are going to be 2G the project leader or uh, head of um uh, of racing uh, to uh, the MotoGP project leader and and to an extent to a lesser extent uh Lynn Jarvis because you know it's this is their baby this is their project and um they are simply not delivering you know they need they need to win um they're not winning they they need to be competitive they're not but they're not building a bike um which is competitive and it's clearly not down to the riders you cannot blame the riders for 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 the situation they're in it's it's clearly down to yamaha management so yeah for me it's yamaha management who are the big big losers here
1: yeah difficult to argue with that div yeah
0: Right, well, that's it. Thank you very much uh, for uh, listening, listeners. Thank you very much, uh, Mister Morrison. Are you uh, heading for the, that there Thailand?
1: Yes, I am indeed. Yes.
0: And when are you going to be flying out to that there Thailand?
1: I shall be flying out on Tuesday, I imagine. Um, and it's a bit of a bit of a trek to get there. Uh, you need to uh, change airports in Bangkok and then fly north. Again, um, it's rainy season, um, so. Um, pretty big downpours are forecast I think most days now in Bururum it's kind of in the north uh, east of Thailand um and we were told when we went there for the test in uh, February uh, to look forward to uh, lots of snakes in the uh, in the wilderness and in the gravel traps. Um, so I, for one, cannot wait uh, <laughs> to, uh, to encounter some of those guys. Uh, someone even said that you have to check your car before getting in because it's possible that they can climb in through some of the some of the ducts and, and things like that. So we shall see. It sounds like it will be a bit of an adventure.
0: No, yeah, all fun and all all good, clean fun and games until them um, until you're bit by something poisonous. Um, it also, it, it makes you wonder because you know the monsoon rains; it's a proper it's properly torrential. And, uh, uh, I can easily see that this is going to be another one of those races which gets delayed or postponed for uh, for a little while because it's going to be so difficult to uh, you know when it, when it does rain if it's I don't know ten fifteen centimeters in a. Uh, in a few hours it's going to take a little while for the track to clear uh i don't think we're in for a second silverstone uh, but um well i mean i can't imagine everything is going to run precisely to schedule exactly like clockwork
1: yes yeah i feel you're right here yeah, we might have a couple of wet races
0: on our hands i feel yes indeed Um, right well thank you Neil Um, uh, good luck uh, uh, don't get bitten by anything um, uh, well don't get bitten by anything nice uh, nasty only get bitten by nice things Um, I shall uh, speak to you soon Uh, thank you listeners make sure you are following us on the social medias that would be uh, twitter.com paddockpasspod and on facebook that's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast if you downloaded this via um Apple Podcasts or uh, any of the other uh, podcast providers make sure you rate us and give us a review Um we would be uh, massively grateful for that and finally uh, just a reminder we have started a Patreon we will be offering some exclusive uh, material for uh, Patreons so if you enjoy the podcast and you want us to keep on doing it um, do please consider uh, subscribing to it we are in the, still in the middle of setting the, all that up so um, uh, please be a little bit uh, Uh, patient but you can go to patreon.com slash paddock podcast and find us there Uh, and uh, obviously we would appreciate your support that's it uh, listeners thank you for listening and talk to you next time super duper
1: nicely done sir nicely done
0: right I've got to cook tea now you've probably got to go and get get tea don't you